I want to talk a little bit about a section of the song of the Jumeir Samadhi. Subtly included within the true, inquiry and response come up together. Communing with the source, travel the pathways, embrace the territory, and treasure the road. Respecting this is fortunate. Do not neglect it. Subtly included within the true, inquiry and response come up together. Communing with the source, travel the pathways, embrace the territory, and treasure the road. Respecting this is fortunate. Do not neglect it. This comes from, these words come from the founder of our school, Dongsheng. And so this subtly included within the true inquiry and response come up together. His um, teaching, where he came from, maybe the teaching of all of Zen, maybe all of Buddhism, but certainly Dongshan's, was suchness. He spoke a great deal. He taught from a particular understanding of suchness. And so when he's talking about inquiry and response coming up together, he's playing a bit with how we talk about spoken language or how we talk about karmic life, how we talk about two people. There's an inquiry and there's a response. But when there is... um, the realization of suchness, he's saying inquiry and response come up together. So a way of talking about this is the way Dogen talks about the myriad things realizing themselves. There's not something realizing life. Life is realizing itself. So what? What's that have to do with what we're doing? And I think one of the important pieces that um, Dongshan is pointing to here is the way we come to wisdom. We often come to wisdom from the mind of inquiry and response. I'm searching for wisdom. There's something to be had. Someone's going to respond. I'm going to understand. But this isn't how Dharma presents itself. At one level of Dharma presenting itself, it is. You go to somebody, you have a Dharma question, there's a response. Or you read it in a book or whatever it is we do. But realization does not present itself in the form of inquiry and response. They are the same thing that come up. They come up as the same realization. But we keep going after this other 
way of understanding a world. The world there is a world out there that I am inquiring into. So we may think that wisdom is in a Dharma talk or wisdom is in a book. We may not, and we talk this way in Zen all the time, but it actually cannot be said enough. We may not think wisdom is in dishes or wisdom is in how we move a bowl. Or wisdom is the way we set something down. That's kind of just some mindfulness thing we're doing. Important, but not wisdom. Except that um, in our school, it absolutely is wisdom. It is the way a body moves through the world. And whether what we call presence or the mind is intimate with that body moving through the world. And so if we pick something up and we turn before we set it down, we don't have a chance of inquiry and response coming up together. We're off with whatever our mind is doing next. If the way we move through a space, if we're not attending to how our body moves, we don't have a chance of inquiry and response coming up together. There is just my separate being kind of moving around and through things. Maybe it's trying to be mindful. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it isn't, wisdom is nowhere other than intimate relationship of what is happening, not intimate relationship to what is happening. The intimate relationship of what is happening. And Deng Shan is pointing us to this realization, life realizing itself as this body, heart and mind. And not pulling out from that, not separating as if inquiry and response are two different things. And so he goes on to say, communing with the source. So the source. The source can be suchness, the source can be dependent co-arising. We can talk about the source's mystery. We can talk about the sources, the causes and conditions beyond our understanding. We can talk about the source as the whole of the cosmos. Is that which is arising as me in this moment, as us in this moment. No separation from the source, communing with the source. Travel the pathways, embrace the territory, and treasure the road. So to have an idea, again, He's looking, and I'm going to tell a story of Dongshan in the beginning that may have something to do with where he he, he got these lines. Um, as we're going along the way, as we're doing our daily life, as we're living our daily life, 
where do we divide things into um, the goal of wisdom, where we're getting to, what we're waiting for, what we think is teaching us, what should be teaching us, and the things we're just kind of doing. There are a lot of ways to read into what it means to treasure the road. We can talk about treasuring the karmic road that we're on through this whole path. But we can just talk about treasuring every single interaction, every engagement, everything that happens in a day. Sometimes we feel like um, we don't have what's necessary to practice fully. Whatever that story is, I don't have X to practice fully. And yet, um, all of life is present. And it is, it is a, um, it is our conviction, maybe, to treasure that road, whichever one there is right now. So if I'm walking on that road, how are my feet landing? Do I even know? Am I cherishing a path? And we can talk about the Dharma path. We can talk about simply walking on the earth. Am I cherishing the earth with my footsteps or do I not even have a clue what my footsteps are doing? And then can I really say I'm having a relationship with Mother Earth if I don't even know what my footsteps are doing? Or am I just in a mental world of relationship and not one of my body? Respecting this is fortunate. Do not neglect it. So I'm going to tell a story about Dongsheng. This is very beginning of, um, or at least one of the early stories we have of Dongshan when he was young, long before he wrote the Jewel of the Mirror Samadhi. So by the beginning of the story, as we know it, Dongshan had been kind of running around to different monasteries trying to figure out a question. And... Um, he had um, had an exchange with Master Nanyang, which left him curious about this question that he carried around much in the same way that Dogen carried the question to China of, if I'm already Buddha nature, why should I practice, right? Often these teachers start off with a question that nags at them. So Dongshan then goes to Master Guishan and he gets there and Master Guishan basically says, well, tell me the story of your exchange with Nanyang. So this first part is Dongshan telling the story of his last encounter. I asked Master Nanyang, what is the mind of the ancient awakened ones? He replied, fences, walls, tiles, and pebbles. I asked, aren't fences, walls, tiles, and pebbles non-sentient? Master Nanyang replied, yes. I asked, and they can expound the teaching? Nanyang said, they expounded brilliantly without ceasing. 
I then asked, why can't I hear it? Odnanyang said, you may not hear it, but that doesn't mean others can't hear it. So I asked, who can hear it? Nanyang said, all the sages can hear it. I asked him, Master, can you hear it? Nanyang said, if I could hear it, if I heard it, I'm sorry, if I heard it, then I'm the same as the sages. If I'm the same as the sages, then you can't hear me give the teachings. I expound the teachings for the sake of sentient beings, not for sages. So I asked, after sentient beings hear it, then what? Nanyang said, then they're not sentient beings. When Dong Shan finished telling, retelling the story, Master Guishan smiled and said, I have this teaching too, but one rarely finds a person who understands it. Dong Shan said, I'm not clear about it. Could you please give some instruction? Guishan lifted his whisk upright and said, do you understand? Lifted his whisk upright and said, do you understand? Dongshan said, I don't understand. Please explain. <laughs> Guishan said, I can never, it can never be explained by the mouth that comes from a mother and a father. After a long pause, Dongshan asked, is there anyone else you can recommend who might <laughs> be able to clarify this for me? <laughs> Master Guishan said, you should go to Li Ling in the Yaoxian region and find the cloud cliff where there is a community of practitioners living in caves. There you'll find a man of the way named Master Yunyan. If you can push aside the grass and face into the wind, then I'm sure you'll find him worthy of respect. So Dongshan took his leave of Master Guishan and sought after Master Yunyan. After he found the community at Cloud Cliff and was able to meet the master, Dongshan again related the story about non-sentient beings and asked, who can hear the teachings expounded by non-sentient beings? Master Yunyan said, non-sentient beings can hear the teachers, teachings expounded by non-sentient beings. Dongshan asked, master, can you also hear them? Yunyan said, if I was hearing them, then you couldn't hear me expound the teachings. <laughs> Dongshan asked, why wouldn't I hear you? Yunyan then raised his whisk and asked, can you hear it yet? Dongshan said, no, I can't. <laughs> Yunyan said, if you don't even hear me expounding the teaching, how can you expect to hear non-sentient beings expound the teaching? Our hero goes on to figure this out and found our school, so it gets better. But at this moment, he has no idea what's going on. There are sentient beings and there are sages. There are non-sentient beings and there are sentient beings. Sages and non-sentient beings can hear each other. Dogen refers to this in Mountains and Water Sutra, uh, in the Mountains and Water Sutra, when he says um, the mountains exist for sages, and sages are the only one 
ones who can see the mountains. Sentient beings are still separating inquiry and response. Sentient beings like Dong Shan, like many of us are like Dong Shan, are going to the next teacher and to the next teacher and to the next teacher with the same question. Now, I don't know a lot about ninth, ninth century China, but I am betting that Dong Shan passed a lot of trees, grasses, pebbles, and walls between all these monasteries. And yet still went with the question in mind, how do I understand their Dharma? How do I hear the Dharma? How does every one of us do this? We believe the Dharma is going to come from the mouths born of parents. And it's not to disparage study. It's not to disparage um, a tradition of speaking the Dharma. But it's not where the Dharma is ultimately going to be realized. The Dharma is not realized in words. We need the words for a long time. I'm not saying this to say anything about words. What I'm saying, why, why I felt it important to say this is, where are we looking for the teaching? Are we moving through the world with everything that we're doing in a way that honors that inquiry and response come up together? That it's going to be the realization is going to bring, it is bringing, being present with, bringing our attention to what we are doing in every moment that creates the possibility for the realization of the Dharma. It's not simply a mindfulness exercise. Although it is very, very hard to be, um, to attend to our world if we don't do that. It's also very hard to be moral if we're not with what we're doing. But along with that, it is impossible <laughs> to realize the Dharma in the way that Dangshan's teaching it. We cannot speed over, walk past, ignore this life as mundane as it may seem that is immediately right here. And so we slow and we practice presence with everything that is. We walk with Mother Earth, not as something we're just kind of cavalier on top of, but that we recognize is manifesting who I am. That That is the strength of my footsteps. And are those footsteps meeting the world gently? Gently enough that my attention can stay with what is happening. Gently enough that there isn't harm 
being unconsciously caused, which we'll do. <coughs> but then can we bring that same mind to the harm? You know, I was thinking about a lot of the practices that existed in Japan were dropped when they came here for various reasons. Some because early um, 20th century Japanese scholars wanted to, were responding to a, a kind of attack on myth that was going on at the time. Because some people wanted to make it more accessible. There were lots of reasons, but a lot was lost. I talked briefly yesterday with, to, to, um, to our Tenzo about um, that the chanting that happens in the kitchen is actually in Zen monasteries in Japan to awaken the god of fire in the stove. It is not just because it's nice to chant. It's because we're having a relationship with the, with the, really it's the deity of the hearth, which is one of the fire deities. And that, that is awakening that deity. Right. And um, in Japan, if, if priests would shave their heads, they would collect it into a bowl and they would take it out and they would off, they would bury it as an offering to tree spirits, not, 200 years ago, now. And um, there is a relationship. There is an addressing. There is an aliveness of sentience. Um, that is throughout all things. That is honored, ritualized, and practiced. And so there is, all things are teaching the Buddha Dharma. Non-sentient beings are teaching the Buddha Dharma. Sentient beings are trying to understand the Buddha Dharma. They're also teaching the Buddha Dharma without knowing often they're teaching the Buddha Dharma. Even our service, which in this country we often think of as focused on the chants. We're chanting the Heart Sutra. We're learning that Dharma. We're chanting this. We're learning that. We're chanting this. We're learning that. Not at all the case where the service comes from. Where service comes from, the focus of the service is what is the echo. We're just chanting. We're basically chanting chants to build and cultivate merit so that we can give it to the Buddhas and the ancestors that brought us the Dharma. The chanting is the energy building of merit so that we can offer that merit to our ancestors, offering back the energy, offering back the Dharma that they brought to us, closing the cycle. And so we are not chanting so that we can learn something. We're not chanting because we have an inquiry and somehow the sutras are the response. We're chanting to be in full connection and to honor and to pay tribute to our ancestors. That is originally the point.
of that chanting. It is a practice of living connection. And so when we're chanting, sometimes we'll do things like um, it becomes for us about, do I know the chant well? Do I understand the chant well? Do I have the chant memorized? Can I show that I have the chant memorized? All of these kinds of things to happen. None of this matters in the slightest. It's a complete utter waste of all of our time. What matters is the building of the moral energy, the virtue and the merit that we can then offer as gifts to those who have supported us. And so that remaining, the practices more and more for me, Zen really is becoming nothing more than recognizing the lived connections of everything of all that is. Of allowing one to be the lived connections of all that is. And everything that is in the way of that, all the ways that I attach to ideas of who I am, that I need to know something because, oh, there's nothing worse than knowing something. The minute we know something, we are, where the Dharma is concerned, we're incredibly useless. Because now I don't need to um, I know how fire works. I don't need to chant to a god of the hearth. We've demystified the world. We know everything. We learn, we know, we demystify. We're now able to control. What would it be to plunge back down into not really knowing how fire works? Because we don't. If the recent wildfires all over the planet show anything, it's that we have no idea what we're doing. So what would it be to enter into life? in the way that Dong Shan's encouraging us, that we have no idea what is happening. And so we're going to be present with everything that is because we have no idea what's happening. Because our ideas of a completed task are just pulling us away from life because of our habit of turning away before we're finished, of going on to the next thing of not attending to the movements of our body, of not feeling what it is to be in the world, of not caring for ourselves and that which we're in contact with, not worrying more about my own knowledge than honoring the ancestors who brought it to me, 
all of that. What if today, what if during this sit, when we're sitting zazen, instead of it being some kind of plunging in or dropping into a goal of whatever, I'm going to be still, I'm going to be awake, I'm going to learn everything about my karma, I'm going to do all these things. What if we were just with? What if the skin of our bodies became the connection rather than the boundary? Which is what it is. And we just allow the body as we sit to be with whatever is there, because whatever's in your room, whatever's in this room is ceaselessly preaching the Dharma. Whether you can hear it, that's different. Whether I can hear it, that's different. Our body just needs to be still and receive the Dharma that's being spoken. We don't have to do anything. And when we catch ourselves completely divorced from the room we're in, off thinking, it's also fine. We're still receiving the Dharma. We may not know it, but we are. We can then just suggest coming back to presence. If we do that through breath, wonderful. If we do that through hearing, wonderful. Whatever it is that allows us to settle back into the place we are with our awareness settled in the place we are so that we can just, not without trying, we cannot try to receive the Dharma We can't will it. Simply is happening. And our intention is to rest in that. That inquiry and response are coming up together. Whatever road is unfolding throughout the next two and a half days, that is the road. There is no better road. There's no road that I should have other than the road that is here. And so we treasure that road and we know the territory. We attend to it. We settle into it. And if we're able to see the intimate language of non-sentient beings, we will be learning the whole time without ever trying. The reason, mm, that's too strong. Um,
sages are not looking for wisdom. And so they can see the intimate language of non-sentient beings. And they can settle into it. Because they have stopped looking. Because what is right in front of us is what it is. I think that's enough words. Um, yeah, that's enough words. I'll just read um, Dong Shan one last time. Subtly included within the true, inquiry and response come up together, communing with the source travel the pathways, embrace the territory and treasure the road. Respecting this is fortunate. Do not neglect it. So I'm hearing Laura who says like, give something concrete or constructive. Um, Be with every single thing that you do today. Every single thing. If it's speaking, be fully with speaking. If you're setting something down, you've heard Tia say this a thousand times. If I've inherited one teaching from my teacher, it's this one. When you set something down, set it down completely and do not turn away until it's down. Don't drop this world. We do not drop this world. So whatever we're doing, we're going to stay with it because it is our eyes that will hear the intimate language of non-sentient beings. And if our eyes leave before we're finished, we have no idea what's going on. This is what the ancestors tell us. It's going to be our eyes that witness the intimate language of non-sentient beings, not our ears. So we stay with everything as we do it, every single thing, the next thing, the next thing. If it's a scream from a child, then that's the next thing. There's nothing in the way. That's the next intimate language. That's the next intimate voice. That's the mountain making itself known to the sage. We can struggle with that, which we might find, and then we'll return to it. How can I be with this one? And then when that's finished, we'll move to the next thing. You know this. This is the first thing you hear about Zen. And it's the last thing that matters. It's the first and last teaching. So thank you very much for listening to all of this. It's good to be sitting with you. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. 
For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.